Welcome to the Movement Church in Orange County, California. We believe that today's message will inspire you, challenge you, and raise your faith that God is up to something big in your life. Let's jump into today's message. Man, I'm ready to dive into the Word. I want to greet those of you that are online with us today, those of you that are in the family room. Thanks for hanging out. We are in season one of the year, Bold as Lions. A season is four months long. It's a spiritual target and a goal for all, a theme for all of us as a church. And then with each, within each theme is a sermon series. And a sermon series is fragmented on Sundays like chapters in a book. We're in week three of a series called Thirsty. Everyone say thirsty. And, uh, and this is based on the fact that all of us in this life have a spirit within us and our spirit is the driving force of everything that we do. It's the driving force of every decision that you make. You could call this your spirit. Uh, we're not talking about like evil or spooky spirits. You could call this your heart, not the organ, but your heart. Like the, your, maybe you could call it your gut or maybe the will, your will. Like the, the driving force of your choices, like the command center of who you are as a human. And your spirit is actually being formed by your choices and your experiences. I know we're repeating a lot of this. If you missed the previous weeks, you gotta go back and listen to them. Last week, I didn't get to finish my message, so we released a special edition podcast, and I finished the message on the podcast, so make sure you check that out. If you miss it, it's because you hate me, my wife, and my kids, so that would be just a tragedy. But we're, here, we're talking about how the Spirit's the driving force, the command center of our life, and it's being formed. In other words, there are things influencing the way that you make decisions, the way that you think, the way that you feel. There are things influencing your choices and your experiences. Now, if you're here and you're a believer, can I get a little more juice in my mic? If you're here and you're a believer, then God saved you, he set you free, and he's given you a life to live, but you still got some junk in the trunk. Can I get an amen? Because all of us have some issues, and if you don't think you have issues, that's your issue, right? So now our life becomes about a spiritual transformation of our spirit, that we become renewed. Uh, scriptures say that we walk in Christ-likeness. Matthew, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Not just are you hungry, not just are you thirsty, but thirst and hunger after righteousness. Righteousness means to be in right standing with God. Look at me in the eyes. That means God has principles for your flourishing, and often they will contradict with your principles for your flourishing. So God's saying if you hunger and thirst after righteousness, you will be fulfilled. So this series is about renewing, about renovating and transforming our spirit. We started this series off in week one discussing the six dimensions of every human. You, not like creepy weird, but like we're three-dimensional, height, width, and depth, but there's things internally that you get that there's just things about me that are different than the things about you. Like I, I fell in love with the... the First time I saw my wife, she was in college and I was junior high, and I'm kidding, <laughs> two grades, every time. 
it never gets old to me, ever. If y'all think I'm rude or that's old, I don't care because I laugh inside. She will always be my cougar. And uh, I fell in love with her body. And <laughs> but then as I got to know her, I fell in love with her spirit, the drive and the passion. She wasn't like other girls. She had a vision. She knew what she wanted to do when she was a freshman in high school. And I was like, I'm going to marry her. That's the woman I want to be with. So that's, this, that's different dimensions than just what you can see. You get this, right? And every human has six dimensions. You have a spirit, which is the command center. You have a mind, not your brain, your mind. And it's broken into two fragments, thoughts and feelings. You never have a thought that is not accompanied with the feeling. You never have a feeling that isn't initiated by a thought. Every feel, well, we're going to talk about feelings today. Every feeling is either repulsed by or attracted to your thoughts. It's either a negative or a positive. Even if you feel indifferent, it's just you don't have strong feelings about things. And you have a soul. The soul is the operating software working behind the scenes, talking to all the dimensions of your life. And your soul is either moving towards health or a lack of health. You just don't know it or see it until time has elapsed or there's a malfunction or the apps aren't opening like they used to open and you realize something's not right but you can't put your finger on it because you, you don't see the soul and you have a body and the body is the manifestation of all these dimensions that we see and interact with but the body also has desires like hunger and thirst and pleasure and it can be good desires or bad desires. Are you with me? And then there's the social context. We don't have that out here. We're going to talk about that the last week of this series. And the social context is a dimension of your life because the social context is where you are known and you know others. It's where your identity manifests, where people see the fruit of what's happening internally. And your social context matters. Are you with me? If our spirit is being transformed or shaped by our choices and our experiences, then the social context with which you grew up in had a profound impact on you, didn't it? Okay, is that enough of that? Yeah. That's my intro. Thanks, Megan. That's why she's my cougar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, we're going to pray, and we're going to talk about feelings. Does that sound good? All right, let's do it. God, we thank you that you're here. We thank you that you're already moving. Lord, I pray you give me insight and wisdom to know the right words to speak, even beyond the notes that are on my tablet, I pray, God, you'd speak to me, that you'd speak to every single one of us. None of us arrived here accomplished and, and set in our spiritual journey. God, all of us are in process. So whether we're in the room or in the family room or online, watching in Africa, watching in London, I pray you just do the miraculous like only you can. God, would you uniquely whisper to us in this space? like only you can. In Jesus' mighty and precious name, and everybody said, amen, amen and amen. Feelings, all up in my feels. I mean, feelings are a part of our life in an epic proportion, and it's like we can't live with them, and we can't live without them. Can I get an Amen. Feelings kind of live on the front row of our lives just like some crazy kids. They just, you can't seem to understand fully what's happening. 
And, you know, there's different types of people in here in this room, and uh, we respond differently to words that are said, to text messages that we receive. Have you ever gotten caught, like, reading into the feelings behind a text message that you've received? Anybody in this room? All right, well, I just want you, I got a video for you. Watch this video. See if you can possibly relate. What text messages mean to an anxious person? You're mad at me. You're mad at me. You're mad at me. You are writing a dissertation of why you are mad at me. See, this one's a little tricky. So at first glance, it seems like you're not mad at me, but based on that period, I know that you're mad at me. Everyone is dead, and also you're mad at me. Everyone is dead, and also... Now, how many of you are on the receiving end of text messages like this? If that's you, raise your hand. How many of you are the sender of text messages like that? If that's you, raise your hand. You're my people. The other day, my daughter was like, Dad, your text messages are so dry. I'm like, what? She said, I sent you a question, or I sent you a statement, and you said, okay. And I was like, okay? I don't... You should put some emojis. I'm not, I'm not going to put an emoji. I don't care. Like, I wrote what I meant. Can I get an amen? Can you ever get in trouble? It's, it's too easy to assess someone's feelings or intent behind something they say or do or what we experience. Anybody guilty in here? In fact, one of my favorite authors calls it the fundamental attribution error, Patrick Lencioni. And, and what that means is that when I have an experience with you that falls short of my expectation, I attribute it to your motive and your lack of character. Whereas when I fall short of your expectation, it's because of some external issue. For instance, if somebody that was supposed to show up for a coffee date or a meeting and they're 30 minutes late and they finally come through the door, internally it would be easy to think they don't care about you, they don't want to hang out with you, this isn't important to them at all. But if you're the one late, it's because the kids were acting crazy and you're walking out and you dropped your Stanley and water went everywhere and now I don't know what to do. It was the Valentine's Day Stanley and I waited in line. Are y'all with me? Feelings can get us into some serious trouble, but they also move us. They give us a sense of being alive. Like one of the reasons that worship is so powerful is because it taps into the feelings component of who we are. God made us this way. God does have an emotional side to him, and it's a good thing. Now, we get emotional, and that usually is a bad thing, but we'll move on. They, it gives us a sense of being alive. Feelings, though, are never benign. They either move us towards health or away from health. Feelings give us the sense of confidence and accomplishment, pleasure or compassion. Feelings give us a sense of, of delight in who God is and what God is doing. But feelings can also lead us in the direction of a lack of health. Feelings are often show up like fearfulness or weariness or sexual desires, which can lead to a healthy place, but often lead to an unhealthy place. Feelings elicit sense of pain, not a physical pain, but an internal pain, loneliness, anger, and jealousy. I want to talk briefly about a few terrifying things with regards to feelings, and then at the end of the message, I want to bring it back to what it would look like or what, how feelings should surface in a godly transformed person. But one of the most terrifying things 
about feelings is feelings assume that they are justified. Feelings assume that they are justified. When your husband didn't call you when he was going to stop by and hang out with the boys after work, you instantly assume he's the most deplorable human on the planet. Can I get an amen? Are y'all tracking with me? We think we're justified. Have you ever been in an argument with someone and in the midst of the argument, you feel completely accurate and right? How many in here have your opinions always been right? Can I see a show of hands? Thank you. You're my people. I like to say in my humble yet accurate opinion, can I get an amen? It's so easy to get caught in the trap of feeling like my feelings are justified. But I want to just tell you, feelings are great advisors. They're horrible CEOs. They're great advisors, but they're horrible CEOs. In fact, I believe that Satan weaponizes feelings, making them seem more important than they actually are. Most of the time that we get into arguments in marriages or in relationships, it starts with a deficit of an expectation, but it usually is magnified by the feeling of the confrontation or the feelings of the lack thereof. Perhaps you in this room, you, you, don't, you avoid the confrontation, but that elicits a feeling as well. Are you tracking with me? Feelings always assume that they're justified. Another terrifying thing about feelings is you cannot master feelings by taking them head on in the moment. When in the history of being told to calm down, has anyone ever calmed down? Our friend and leader, uh, that great friend and pastor friend of ours, Pastor Philip Wagner, said, when in the middle of an argument, when you were told to calm down, have you actually ever Calm down. In fact, doesn't it kind of just make you want to punch the person who said, calm down? Are y'all with me? No? None of y'all feel that way? You're just all up in my feelings right now. You cannot master your feelings head on in the moment. You can't wait until the conveyor belt of emotion and desire starts moving towards the buzzsaw of sin and destruction before you jump off of it. The challenge with our lives and the choices is so many times we fall into the traps of sin because of the feelings that follow a thought. Now we make choices in our spirit, but our spirit is being formed largely by our thoughts and our feelings. And if you're pursuing the desires that you're feeling when it comes to sexual desires, if that conveyor belt is already moving, it's gonna be that much more difficult to deny yourself or to click off the link or to say no to someone that you should be saying no to. Are you with me? So choosing to take our feelings on head on in the moment will rarely, if ever, result in mastering them. Now, that doesn't mean you can't control your feelings in the moment. In fact, maturity is when you begin to realize, I feel one way, I want to say something, what you did hurt me, but I'm going to take a moment and step out of the scenario and see what is actually taking place and what actually needs to be said. So it is possible to slow down your feelings and behave or respond appropriately, but that doesn't mean you've mastered them. 
It may only mean you've learned how to subside them for now, but they're going to resurface again. Now, that doesn't mean that we shove our feelings down and ignore them. That is not the answer. Because if you try to shut off emotions or feelings, there's only one valve. It isn't a certain shut-off valve for certain feelings and emotions. If you shut that off, they are all off, and you'll become numb to the world. I know that from thousands of dollars of therapy. I experienced one of the most painful times and seasons of my life as a pastor, and my response was so unhealthy, I just shut the valve off and said, if that's what it takes to be in ministry, I'm not going through that again. And I thought I was protecting myself so I didn't feel that pain anymore. And I didn't know until six months later that I had shut that off in my marriage. And my wife was asking me questions like, do you still love me? I'm like, what? Are you still attracted to me? I'm like, what? I didn't realize that in an attempt to not feel the pain that I had experienced, my response was not healthy, and I shut off the valve instead of dealing with it appropriately. And sure, I didn't feel the pain in this compartment of my life, but now my wife was experiencing pain in our marriage. Are you with me? So you cannot master your feelings head on in the moment, but that does not mean the response is to shut them off and don't feel anything. You can steer them, but you can't master them in the moment. Feelings like thoughts have to be replaced over the course of time, or more importantly, they actually have to be submissive to the spirit. Now, the reason we have these blocks like this, if you miss week one, it's because often we want to invert this process. We allow the desires of our body to fuel our soul, which impacts our feelings and thoughts, therefore driving the choices that we make in life, and then we add God on top. This is God's plan for flourishing, that my life is founded first upon him, and that he is fueling my spirit Because the spirit is the command center. He's the captain of my life, if you will. And so if God is fueling my spirit, then it is impacting my thoughts and my feelings. And you can't control every thought that you think. Sometimes a thought just pops into your mind. But like we spoke about last week, you do control what thoughts you meditate on and what thoughts you force yourself to think. And every, listen, I know we're recapping, every thought has a feeling attached to it. Every single time. Are you with me? So the only way we begin to find mastery in our thoughts is by replacing them with what the word of God says about me. And the same is true with my feelings. If I don't replace them, then I have to surrender them to a godly spirit. Which means that when I am hurt because Megan says something to me, she never messes up. She's just an angel in our marriage. I'm kidding. But if she says something to me and it hurts me, it permeates this tough exterior, then I leave the the moment and I think some specific things and I ruminate on them or steep on it like a tea and the thoughts and the feelings are meshed together. If I don't 
surrender my thoughts to what the word of God says, then this will become a new facet of who I am. And if I don't say, but wait a minute, what I know is that Megan loves me. I feel like she rejected or I feel like she offended, but I know she loves me. And I know that she's for our marriage. So even though I feel hurt, what I now know is we need to have another conversation. Are you tracking with me? Just making sense. So you cannot just feel something different in the moment and think that you're walking in a place of health. Because we're talking about renewing or renovating or transforming who I am so that I can walk in the righteousness of Christ. Are y'all with me? So you cannot try to master your feelings head on in the moment, but you can take inventory. And you can see how that moment made you feel and how you responded. Step back and go, I wonder why I felt that way. I wonder what I was really thinking and feeling. Maybe it wasn't the fact that Megan said what she said. Maybe it was because I was feeling pretty discouraged about this thing in my life. And now I'm projecting the pain of here onto her. So, ooh, you know what that tells me? I've got some things I need to work through. Here, y'all tracking with me today. Can never master them by taking them head on in the moment. And the last terrifying component of feelings, and this one's the, the worst, is feelings spread. Now, I, I put my notes down in our app. I'd really encourage you to take, take notes and follow along. Just fill in the blanks and stuff like that. You're going to want to hang on to some of this stuff for later. And the reason I say this is because Megan and I have been working on this series for uh, eight weeks now. And just this week in, in prepping, I just felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit, like, I got some work to do. I got some work to do. In fact, at one point, I was like, maybe I should have somebody else preach this. I don't know if I'm ready to preach this. <laughs> is it okay if we're authentic in this place? And so if you think that for 30 minutes, you're going to hear something, and then you're going to go back and master your feelings, then you're missing it. Are you with me? Note takers are history makers. So take some notes with us today. Feelings spread. You know, a few, a few years ago, uh, we were doing a summer camp for the students. I forget what campground it was at. And one of our former uh, worship pastors, Jeremy Parham, you remember Jeremy Parham? One of the best. And if you've, if you've never met him, he, there's nobody more fun to hang out with. He's just got a big, goofy grin and just he's the best. And the night session was over and there was a cabin for leaders and we were starving, and it was in, I think, Big Bear, Arrowhead. Everything was shut down, and we found a gas station or convenience store, and found a, like a Red Baron frozen pizza. Come on, like college all over again. And brought it back and, you know, turned the oven on to get it heated up to put the pizza in. And we sat down, and we're talking, and a few minutes pass, and we're giggling like schoolgirls. And a few more minutes pass, and we're laughing at stupid things like, no, no alcohol was involved, by the way, in this story. And we we're just like goofy. And all of a sudden, I've got a headache. And my head is hurting so bad. I don't know what's happening. And Jeremy goes, what is that smell? And I'm like, I don't know. And we realized the oven was gas. And when we went to turn it on, we just turned the gas on, but not the light to ignite the pilot. Are y'all tracking with me? We nearly died, friends. We were having the time of our life. The pizza's still uncooked. And we nearly died. What we had no clue that was happening behind the scenes is the gas was spreading through the house and was slowly killing us. 
And if you don't address your feelings, they will spread and they will slowly kill you. Feelings creep subtly into every arena of your life. The good news is if we have feelings that are surrendered to a godly spirit, that's a great thing. But if we're not taking care of them, every aspect, every dimension of your life is moving in a direction. It's either moving towards health or away from it. There is no middle ground. There is no neutral. So don't don't kid yourself to think that you're okay. You are either moving towards health or you're moving towards a lack of it. And your feelings will spread and suddenly these rogue feelings will take over your mind and then you end up defending the feelings that are actually killing you. You've seen this take place in your own life. You've seen it in relationships and some people never escape this condition. And if you allow negative thoughts to obsess you, to meditate on them, their associated feelings will eventually enslave and blind you. This is why when you talk to some people, it seems like they can never see rationale because they are caught up and blind to the pervasive enslaving feelings that are accompanying the thoughts. Take, for instance, a woman who believes that she's been treated unfairly for years in her marriage and at her job. She doesn't address it or replace the thought, but she meditates on it for years. She develops this false sense of injustice and outrage, and then usually, as we all do, she cultivates it by talking through it with empathetic and compassionate friends. We are really good at developing a friend group that thinks and acts and behaves the same way that we do. And if we allow this feeling to muster, that's the cultivating move. I don't know what that is. That's, that's just, that's cultivation. So if you ever want to cultivating it, that's it. You go home, what are you doing? We're going to cultivate some things. And I get my friends around me and I talk about it, the injustice and the problems and the issues and the frustration and the hurt and the pain. Like, oh, that is so, I hate that for you. You don't deserve that. You are right. How dare they? And the feeling creeps into every aspect of who I am, and it permeates every relationship and every interaction that I have, and then this thing called the root of bitterness spreads over her whole person. Hebrews says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness would spring up and cause Trouble, and then it infects my body and my soul. The root of bitterness shows up in people's faces. It will impact your health. I've seen people that were struggling with major physical issues, and they were holding on to the root of bitterness. And I'm not saying this is the remedy. I'm just saying I watched God supernaturally when they chose forgiveness as the path it brought physical healing to their body. I'm not claiming to be a doctor. I'm not trying to say that that is always going to heal. I'm just saying I watched it happen in people. It's the root of bitterness. And I'm just telling you, these feelings will spread. 
Bob Mumford calls it the prison of resentment. But just take any feeling or emotion and insert the story. Create your own hypothetical, if you will. The same cause and effect empires entire social groups as well. A few decades ago, there was a nation that was bankrupt and owed the allied forces billions of dollars. And this man stood up and began pointing the finger of blame at a people group called the Jews. And the nation rallied around him. The Nazi party was formed and we saw a genocide take place. So if you don't think this can happen on a large scale or a small scale, you're deceiving yourself. And we wonder how in the world could they do this? Because it's so easy to be moved by what you feel. So we have to transform this into the likeness of Christ or we're in trouble. Are you with me? So what does it look like? To have godly feelings in a transformed life. Well, the first is love. The feeling of love. And what is love? Baby, don't... Okay, moving on. Don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. I almost did that dance, but I'm not going to, so... God always begins with love. The first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your... Oh, heart. All your soul, all your body, all your strength, Right? And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. So what is love then, for real? Obviously, I can't define it fully. I don't know the full definition, but perhaps a great idea or concept behind love for the sake of today is that I I love something or someone when I promote its good for its own sake. So to love Megan with my whole heart, mind, soul, and strength means that I want to promote her good, what is good for her, regardless of what is good for me. So real love is selfless in its very essence. The opposite would be malice, to plan for for her hurt or her pain. The absence would be indifference. And love and desire are not the same thing, because I can desire Megan without wanting good for her. That's called lust. Love is the nature of God on display, and he wills to the good of us. My life verse is Romans 8, 28, and I like to put myself into the scripture. For I know that in all things, God is working for the good of Carrie, who is called according to his purpose. And because God is working for the good, it doesn't always mean he's going to give me what I want. Because sometimes what I want will actually hurt who I am. Are you with me? So I know I can trust that God is working for the good. So if we're going to have a transformed feelings, love has to be at the basis. Which means you've got to be asking yourself the question, are my thoughts, feelings, and actions promoting or advancing the good of those I love? And if the answer is no then my feelings are not submitted to a godly spirit. Are you with me? Let me just tell you four facets or four movements of love. I'm going to go through this fast. So listen well, take notes, and we can talk about it later. Four movements of love. Number one, God first loved me. I have to know that God loved me first before anything else because that is the foundation. If I don't know that God loved me, 
then I don't have a sense of identity. So every ounce of my spiritual health hinges on the notion that God loves me. Some of you are struggling with identity and purpose because you haven't captured that idea yet. You still think that God's disappointed with you and haven't grasped the idea or the notion that God loves you. And second to that is now I love because he first loved me. In other words, me loving is a response to his love for me. And third, listen to this. It's important to know that I love others who love God. That's our next priority. Look at me in the eyes. If you're a believer, God placed you in a family called the church, which means your priority is to his church. And the fourth movement of love is the process of redeeming love. Restoration, which means there are people who aren't believers, and God gave you and me the the ministry of reconciliation to go out and show love so that people can be a part of the family. Are you all with me today? Are your thoughts, your feelings, your actions promoting or advancing the good of those you love? Godly feelings in my transformed life, first is love, the second is joy. And joy is this pervasive sense, listen to me, that it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. Joy expands beyond thought, and it's not deterred by circumstances. Happiness is circumstantial. That's why so many people in our world are running in circles, changing their identity, trying to find a place to belong because they are chasing happiness, and happiness is fleeting. Joy happens regardless of your pain or your peace. It is this pervasive, listen to me, it's a pervasive sense that it is well with my soul. Right now, it is well with my soul. There's an old hymn of the church. And I love it. The lyrics say this, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, It is well. It is well with my soul. It was written by a man named Horatio Spafford who lost his business in the Chicago fires of the 1800s and then decided we got to go see family in London and God sent his family, his wife and four daughters on a boat ahead of them while he stayed back to handle a few things with business and he gets a letter in the mail weeks later that said, oh, Horatio, We collided with another ship on the way and all four daughters are lost. That is pain like you can't even imagine. Maybe some of you can. Horatio, going to comfort his wife, gets on a boat. Again, we're talking weeks to get the letter and then weeks to sail over there. And, And the legend says that as he passed the very place where the shipwreck took place and his four daughters died, he pinned the words to this song. Those sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot, you have taught me to say it is well. It is well with my soul. Some of you are looking for happiness and you will never find it because it's fleeting. What you're chasing is an emotion that will never bring satisfaction or fulfillment. And what you need is joy. And joy just says, man, the pain is great, but God, you are good. 
Man, I'm overwhelmed with grief, but God, you are faithful. Joy is in the moment. And sometimes you have to choose joy. And you may want to throw in the towel. Sometimes you have to choose joy and you want to punch somebody in the face. And sometimes you have to choose joy and someone ripped your heart out and threw it on the ground. And you have to choose joy. Feelings are great advisors, horrible CEOs. Look at me in the eyes. You are in charge of your feelings. You're not a victim of them. You, you are not a victim of them. So stop chasing happiness. Choose joy. It is well with my soul. There's so much more to share, but I'm going to move forward. Godly feelings in my transformed life. Love, joy, and peace. Now, these are not only feelings, but these are conditions of the whole being. Joy is a pervasive sense that it is well with my soul now. Peace is my spirit at rest because of an assurance of how things will turn out tomorrow. Joy is for the moment. That's why the scripture says, though the sorrow lasts for the night, joy comes in the morning. I feel like some, I can't even move to peace yet. Somebody in here is wrestling with this notion of joy and it's because you've been chasing, you, you have set some feeling as an unhealthy and unrealistic expectation for your life. And you're here today because God's going, no, just know that it is well today. I'm good and I'm faithful today. God is good and he's faithful today. But peace is an assurance that tomorrow is taken care of. And it rests and it hinges on the person of Jesus. And that is an essential component. Listen to me. <clears throat> it's an essential component because the moment that I surrender my life to Jesus, tomorrow is taken care of. I'm not rescued from the pain of life. I'm rescued from the consequences of sin. Which means that if the worst case scenario happens and I die, to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ and that's a much better place than being here. I don't have to deal with cowboy losses anymore. <laughs> Calories are free in heaven. Can I get an amen? My wife loves me every day in heaven. Well, we, we don't know yet. We'll find out. It's hard. That's why the Bible says that we, we get to hope as someone who has a future. Some of you are just riddled with anxiety because you're so worried about the future. The only burden you're supposed to carry is the stewardship of your life. You are never meant or created to carry the burden of the outcome. What does the stewardship of your life mean? Well, it means that if you're in a home where people are dependent upon you, that how you treat them matters, how you love your family, your kids, your uncles, your your dad, your mom, your sisters, your brother, your sons, your daughters, your spouse. 
you're responsible to have a J-O-B and put a roof over your head and food in your mouth. That's a biblical perspective. Some of you need to stop being lazy. And, and when you go to your job, you don't be that complaining, nagging pain in the rear end. That's not a biblical. You're actually supposed to bring your best, even if you're flipping burgers at McDonald's. You're supposed to treat that as if you're working for God. Are you with me? I steward, I'm supposed to steward my finances well. I'm supposed to steward my thoughts, my feelings, my soul, my spirit, my body well. But then I let the outcome rest in the hands of God. My, old, my pastor from back in the day when Megan and I grew up, he used to say all the time, I've read the job description and God's the only one qualified to be God. Kind of cheesy, but it, it hits, doesn't it? Your responsibility is stewardship, not the burden of the outcome. And to remember that you're promised a future and a hope no matter what you face and no matter how you feel. He's good and he's faithful today. Listen to me. Even if you're stupid and you make the dumbest choice you could ever make and the consequences are great, look at me. He's still working things out for your good. That's why the scripture says, which you need to know this. If you don't know this, then when you feel shame because of the things that you've done, you'll succumb to the pressure of shame because you don't realize that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. Because you, you forget that the scripture says that you're more than a conqueror. Because you forget that his grace is sufficient. And you might have to walk through the pain of your consequences, but it doesn't change the fact, look at me, that he is still working things out for your good. Because he first loved you. Amen? Do you know the word amen means so be it? That's a good place for an amen. Amen? Amen. amen. You can't have this peace and this joy unless it first begins with receiving the grace that God has given you. Look at me in the eyes for a moment with 60 seconds left in our service or my time. Some of you haven't begun the journey with Jesus and it's just simply accepting the gift of grace. It's just choosing to accept the love of God that he sent his only son Jesus to pay the consequence of your sin and my sin. He carries the burden of the outcome of our future and it just starts with a moment with him. Do me a favor, everyone in the room, heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody moving, nobody looking around. If you're here and you've never begun the journey, today's your day. And if you're here and you've been running from God, today's the day to come running back. Whether you're in the room, in the family room, or tuned in online. Why don't you just make the prayer, I pray your own, maybe in a small whisper of the quietness of your own heart. Just say, dear God, I know you love me, that you've given me purpose, that you have a new life for me, but I'm not perfect. Would you forgive me? 
and now just make this statement your own. Just say, Jesus, I give you my life. In Jesus' name. Head still bowed, eyes still closed, nobody moving. If you're here and you prayed that prayer with me, I want to ask one favor of you. Would you do me a favor and let me know? Nobody's looking around, but in a moment, I'm going to count to three, and if that was you, you prayed the prayer, would you just put your hand up and put it right back down? You're saying, Pastor Kerry, I prayed that prayer. I'm beginning that journey today. If that's you, on the count of three, lift your hands. Ready? One, two, three. Put your hands up. Awesome. Wow, 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 wow. All over the room. Thank you, thank you. Anyone else? You can put your hands down now. Thank you, thank you, thank you. God, we just thank you for what you're doing in this place, and we give you honor and glory. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said... Come on, Movement Church. Let's give a hand clap for the men and women who prayed that prayer. Come on, Movement Church. What a message. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer, connect with us by texting Jesus to 949-267-3242. And if you're local to Orange County, be sure to check us out on Sundays. You can get all the information at theocmovement.com.